0: And I think we can all do something. We can start right in our own families with teaching our children to do better when it comes to this.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Kettering Connect, the weekly video cast and podcast where Pastor Andrea and I talk every week about the teaching of the weekend, breaking open the scriptures and applying them to life. And hopefully you had the opportunity this last Sabbath to watch, not just an experience, an amazing worship service, but to hear a message from Pastor John Nixon the Second. It was super powerful and we are blessed today to have him with us in our conversation. So welcome John, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, um, I'm super excited. You probably noticed that this is the first time that we have three people doing this interview just because, um, I wanted to be part of this and talk to John as well. John, you mentioned already at during the sermon that, you know, you've known us for since I guess college, but I only knew of you at that time, uh, because you had played sports on with Michael. I think you were mentioning that. So I would always come and watch the games. I would see the different people who were playing on the field, Right. but we never really talked until we moved to Maryland. Yeah. And I remember it was kind of like the first get together that we had with all the teachers because your wife, April, is a teacher. And so that's where we all got to see each other um, and just talk again Yeah. And, and reconnect. And for me, you know, it was the first time I really got to know you both. And I've just really appreciated who you guys are. Um, and you mentioned kind of doing couples things once in a while. I'll see April do some things for, for couples, even, even online or on Facebook. Yeah. I just think it's so awesome that you guys do those things together as a couple and that you are, you you're both pastors and, in, in in your own way. And so thank you for what you guys do. I think we need more people like you.
0: Thank you. By the way, you, so you wouldn't remember this, but Uh, I did speak to you before that. It was when I was in your father's class at seminary. You would come to visit sometimes, and I remember having a conversation with you a couple of times because you were a theology major at the time. Anyway, but you wouldn't remember that, but I do.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, the world is small, right? That's why you better watch out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's always happened. All right, so let's get into the topic. You spoke about Jason's 2. Uh, Thank you so much for just being brave and courageous to speak about such an important topic. I think it definitely requires courage to do something like that. And so I just want to start out by asking you, why why did you choose James 2? What is it that drew you to that passage?
0: Yeah, so uh, you're a pastor. You guys are pastors. You know how this works. Uh, Very often, my sermons come from my own devotional life. So I happened to be reading James 2 some time ago. And I was struck by how it spoke to me directly about sort of this uh, sin of partiality, the way in which sometimes I I treat people better than other people, simply because of something I know about them or something I wanna get out of them or whatever. And I thought to myself, I said, man, this this is what racism is. And so I like the James 2 text largely because it really exposes that we as human beings kind of all have this problem. We all have the ability to see one person over another one for whatever our reason is. Racism just happens to be one of those ways. And so I thought it would be a good text because it was um, it was inclusive. It, it, it was a text that hit me first before I even preached it. And I thought that with a subject like this, I need to make sure that I didn't come off as someone who was on their high horse who didn't also have this issue. I needed to be Mm. able to preach it with compassion. And the only way to do that was to see myself in the same text. And And that's how it was in the first place. I wasn't planning on preaching it, it was a text that hit me during a worship that I was having, you know what I'm saying? So uh, that that was really why James 2, I thought, was good. There are several other passages I could have used, but James 2 felt more inclusive. It felt like it included me in that problem. And so I liked it for that reason.
1: No, I think that's so good. Um, and especially because in James, right? So m- most people would agree that James is probably one of the first written or one of the earliest written books of the second testament or of the new testament like really early on you know approximately like 44 to 48 bc so this is or AD, sorry so this is really early right in within christendom right the followers of jesus and here's james showing up talking to a you know, a a very prejudiced, hate based culture, right? I mean, they were prejudiced, not just with ethnicity, but also like social classes, nationalities and religion. And here, he's got some really bold, right, like strong language. um, At the very beginning of the Christian movement, right? Of, listen, like actually, in, in Greek, he uses this this phrase, and, and in English, it says, "Belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the divine glory." Like when you break that down in the original, essentially, he's saying Jesus Christ is the all of the divinity of God. He Jesus is the shekinah, yeah. and he's like, unless, like, if you claim to follow and believe in this shekinah, Jesus. You cannot be prejudiced, right? They do not go hand in hand. And right. I just love how he's bold in this at the beginning of the Christian movement.
0: I, and I also think one of the reasons why I love James is because he's such a practical writer. I kind of alluded yeah. to that at the very beginning as well. He, he's not like one of these sort of, um, you know, Paul tends to be very uh, heady, you know what I'm saying? His yeah. yeah, systematic. Yes, but, but it's, it's like all in your head kind of thing. James is really about action. And so he's like, he just cuts to it. And he, does, he doesn't mince any words. He kind of hits you over the head with it. Yeah. And yes. I think it's because James is trying to show how important this thing actually is. I, I feel like we as a church would be so much more powerful if we could learn to not put one person over another, for whatever our reason is, if we could just see people the way that Jesus sees them, I think we would have so much more impact in the earth. I just don't think we realize it, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. Like the one phrase as I was going through it, I, I, I underlined it was in verse four where it says, if, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with people's thoughts? Like to me, it's just so interesting the way that he says it partiality is when you're a judge with evil thoughts i mean that's just like really straightforward yes saying like that is who you are and it's so interesting that he is talking to believers that's the hard part no god and that is just so crazy to me and and like you i see myself in this too because i definitely you know and like yeah talking about racism like you know just seeing different people of of different colors, you can definitely fall into that. But like you were saying, it can also be other things where I can just think just because I do something a certain way, I therefore am better than the person who does it differently. Because, you know, this is the right way. Yours is the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much in it.
0: So, and this is one of the things that I think is so important for us, not just as Christians, but but maybe specifically 7th Adventist. I've been Adventist my whole life. My father's a pastor, Adventist, all that stuff. There's something about being right yeah. that is super important to us. And sometimes I think we put rightness over love or compassion or, or acceptance. So many other things that, honestly, when you look at the list of things that God cares about from Christians, I've never seen the word right in there. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's okay to be wrong. I'm just saying being right is not the most important thing. And I think sometimes we we think of ourselves as better just because we do things right. When in fact, hmm. sometimes we just do things differently. <laughs> some some, some right. things I think are right according to scripture. I, I think there's the place for that. But I think sometimes we just have this attitude. And I, I think that's probably a lot of what's going on with the early Christian church Um, that James is talking to as well. So uh, there's some human issues that are happening here that touch us all, not just Black people, white people, you know, people from South America. You know, this is, I think, something that hits humanity in general. And so that's why I love that James 2 text.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's awesome that you chose it because it really is, there's just so much in it for all of us. Yeah, I I do want to talk a little bit more and just ask you specifically about Um, just racism in the way that you have experienced it in your own life. So when would you say was the first time that you realized specifically that racism was real?
0: Yeah, Um, you know, I've given this some thought actually. I I was young, I I don't remember how old I was. I may have been around nine, maybe eight. So there are a couple of things that happened. I, I think I told the story uh, yeah. To end the sermon about the kid that called me the N word, I was nine yeah. when that happened. That was fourth grade. I think-, Did I, mm-hmm. I think I said fourth grade. So I I think I was nine, maybe ten. Um, but it was probably before that, though. But around that time, that I found out that racism was a thing. You know, you, you okay? So let me just let me just clear it up for you, so you know. In in most African American homes. Um, our parents sometimes try to um, uh, prepare it's the talk, us. Right? Yes, yeah, it's a it's talk. Exactly right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I put that in, actually in the email that you didn't open. Okay. It's in there. It in there. Yeah, yeah. About So there, the There's a
0: talk yes. that people yes. of color usually have with their parents where their parents are trying to warn them about the way that people will sometimes treat them. And so I had had that talk from way before nine. But I hadn't experienced it for real for myself until I remember the first time, uh, it was, like I said, before that fight, Um, I walked into an elevator and I wasn't that old. Um, And there was a white lady who was there and I remember watching her clutch her purse really close to her. And I can't tell you why I thought that was about me. But for some reason in that moment, I just knew she was uncomfortable with something about me that made her think she needed to hold onto her purse more tightly. Um, I remember in high school, I used to go to stores, uh, apparel stores, whatever. And sometimes I would get followed around the store by the security guard. And again, you know, it wasn't like they were being super obvious, but I would say to my brother, do you see that guy over there? He's like, yeah, I think he's following us. I think he thinks we're going to steal something. Mm -hmm. Um, So stuff like that, stuff like that was like kind of a reality. And so I kind of grew to expect that when I came around white people, I needed to act differently so that they would not feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. I I felt like I needed to disarm them in some way. Which, if you really think about it, as I'm saying it, that's quite a burden for a, a nine-year-old boy to have to be thinking about. It, it doesn't really seem fair. But honestly, it's just been my whole life. So I, I don't, I've never really thought about it as unfair or fair. It's just, you know, kind of the way it is. But I think that's something that you learn. You pick it up and you sort of learn how to act differently and people don't even realize you're doing it but it's a constant thing it's always in your head um and still i'm I'm 42 it's still there i I still i can detect things and I, i know how to code switch and talk differently and make sure that i'm not coming off as stereotypically the things that society says are negative as you associate it with with black people black men in particular Anyway, I'm not sure that answers the question, but I don't know exactly when it was, but it was early. No,
1: (laughs) no, but that's that's spot on, and I think a lot of people need to understand that. And even just in your answer just now, you used the word code switch. Um, (laughs) I get it, but in case there's someone watching, because I I can guarantee you, there's people watching. Like, what is code switch? So can you break down what is code switching? I'll I'll break that down for you. Okay, so basically, here's
0: here's the easiest way of putting it. Some people are bilingual; they speak Spanish and they speak English. Well, I'm also bilingual. Uh, I speak black and I speak white. (laughs) I mean, I'm really I'm being really crude right now. But the reality is there is a way that is acceptable to speak in business situations or professional circumstances that I know how to do. And then there are some uh, slang words there's vernacular. uh, There are other ways of speaking Uh, You see right now, I'm very measured and deliberate in what I'm doing. Uh, You might say this is my preacher voice or whatever, Um, but that's that's a code switching is talking and acting a particular way when you're in a certain circumstance that you would not do when you are at home with your with your friends and family. Uh, it's it's so that that's basically what it is in a nutshell. It's probably more technical than that, but that's the way of breaking it down. It's like being bilingual. You know, you walk in here, you speak Spanish. You walk up there, you speak English, and you just know when you see the people what you're supposed to do. And there are times when I am um, in a circumstance where I think it's okay for me to. Man, um, uh, I don't want to say be black. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of a different way of putting it. Uh, but there are times when it's okay for me to just be who I am, and sure. sometimes I misjudge the situation and realize, oh, I can't do that here, and mm. I need the code switch. I know how to do that, so mm. it's something you learn to do. It's just part of your sort of—I uh, don't know if you have the same—you know, just you have, part of the tension. Yeah, of yeah. living in America. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's exactly what. It is. It's part of the tension of living in America. It's, that's basically it. Yeah. And by the way, I, you know, I don't—I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me or anything like that. It's not you know, it's just part of life. You know what I'm saying? It's just what I've always had to do. Um, so I'm used to it.
2: It's kind of similar to being a woman, you know, in a man's world, you, there is still something that you, you know, you do, you realize if you're in a group of men, you know, there are certain ways that you just kind of have to adjust. Yes. Because you know that, okay, this is kind of what's expected rather than, you know, like if I'm with a group of group of women, I may act a little bit differently, you know, in certain things or about, you know, what I'm saying certain things. But it made me think when you did the sermon for Kittering, is this, was that something that you had to code switch for?
0: Not really. No. And, and okay, so there's a couple reasons for this. Um, the way that I preach, I, I try to be as... Um, I try to make sure that my audience can can feel as though they can receive the word without any real distractions. And so and so that's part of my style is to try to understand the audience and speak to them in a way that they would feel comfortable with just to disarm them so that they can so i didn't I didn't feel I needed to really uh, code switch in that situation. I kind of I kind of just put that in the category of what I consider when I'm preaching. You know, that's part of the whole thing for me. Trying to be all things to all people. Uh, You know, I'm a professional preacher. I actually think that um, it's easier for me to adjust to the audience, or it should be, than for them to adjust to me. You know what I'm saying? So so I'm constantly thinking about that. So I don't put that in that category at all. Um, Code switching for me at times feels like, maybe it's a negative thing that I shouldn't have to do that in certain situations, but I know I need to. So I do it anyway. I I, I would never put that into this category as far as preaching is concerned.
1: Yeah.
2: I want to go back to just asking you some more about you had mentioned that, okay, you had the talk. Did you have the talk with your own kids? Um, And what kinds of things do you teach your kids? And, and, And like one of the things I'm thinking about is my best friend is black. She's originally from Jamaica and you know, we talk about all kinds of things all the time. But the one thing that really got me was when um, the George Floyd thing happened. She, that was the first time that I heard her say, because she was pregnant, she was about to have a baby. And she said, you know, I'm afraid to, to bring a baby into this world who's going to be a black, man, a black man. And she said, yeah. because there's a difference between being a black man and being a black woman, too. Yeah. Uh, and, and that just like really struck me. And, and that just like was so crazy because it, it, you know, it just made me think that like, wow, there are things that I don't really think about.
0: Mm. So, yes, I, I have had to talk. We, my wife and I both have to talk with our kids. Um, we started off by, by telling them cause they were very, very little. So we had to really oversimplify. We started off by telling them there are some people in the world that may not like you because of the way that you look. And we need you to know there's nothing wrong with you is something wrong with those people and that, that they have, and we we also tried to make it so that uh, we didn't just demonize them because I, I understand and and my wife and I both understand that some of this is a product of upbringing and it may not necessarily be uh, that the person actually just wants to hate black people. It could be that there is something in their upbringing that was passed down from generation to generation that, that made them have this sort of, bent toward this it wouldn't have to be necessarily they just hate you so we tried to we tried to just give it to them in a way that was age appropriate but also help them to understand guys when this happens we don't want you to think there's something wrong with you because mm-hmm. an early age, you're trying to figure it out you're a little kid you know you see you you don't even notice that you might notice that the kid looks different than you but you don't think there should be any reason why you can't play together Mm -hmm. So so we've had that talk, but I've got a a son. Our son is 16 now. He just turned 16 and he and I have had multiple talks about, he's about to start driving. We've had multiple talks about how you engage police officers, uh, how you make sure that you're being respectful, um, things that you should not do that would arouse suspicion. Even though my son is a straight A student, my son is in National Honor Society, Uh, He plays basketball, he's very, he's athletic, he's intelligent. He is, um, all of the things that if you took time to see, you would recognize, my son's not a criminal, but there are things that automatically, I I try to teach him that certain people see, they automatically associate with criminality, and they may see those things in you. And uh, I try to try to help him to see that black men especially uh, seem to have a sort of target on their backs. Uh, when it comes to police um, and we're seeing a lot of things around. So it just had to be very candid and open with him and and let them know specifically. So, yeah, we've had the talk. And, uh, you know, I want my son to come home alive when when he comes That's back right. doing so, you know, maybe some people think I shouldn't have the talk. Maybe they think I'm perpetuating something in that situation. I, I don't agree. I, I think he needs to know what kind of world he lives in and he needs mm-hmm. to be prepared with the tools to be able to come back home alive every day. <laughs> that's what I'm caring, that's what I care about.
1: No, absolutely. And so I think, so in your message you you use this line, you said um, that racism is baked into the DNA of our country. Yeah. So I'm sure you know, some of these things that you're talking about that's a part of that sentence, right? Baked into the DNA. Um, but the other thing you mentioned, and I and I totally agree, is yet it's often unnoticed. So talk for a moment, you know, just about that. You know, this this yeah. sense about yeah, it, this unnoticed racism that seems to be everywhere. And you've already you know illustrated a few points. But yeah, talk for another moment or two about that. You know, unpack okay, that. So
0: little. so a couple things. Uh, the reason I say it's baked into the DNA, if you if you look at any uh history uh an honest history of the United States and you understand how this country came to be um the country was built and built up and the wealth and all of those things that we enjoy really came from a long system of slavery it, it, it was it was black slaves that built up the country so I'm saying I'm saying for almost like the very inception of this country, there was, there was a system in place that allowed for human beings to be treated as animals. And in fact, the thinking at the time was that black people were not fully human. You know about the three-fifths rule? There was this, there was this idea that a, a black man is yeah. three-fifths of a human being. So I'm saying, I'm saying that's in the history of the beginning of the country. <laughs> that's what I'm saying is baked into the DNA. So mm-hmm. so when we start talking about unraveling racism, there's a whole lot of stuff that's intertwined into our capitalistic system that we enjoy that is fruit of racism. So, mm-hmm. So when you really start walking through and start talking about how this looks and you start talking about what would have to stop happening and stuff like that, so a lot of people that say, I'm not sure I agree with that. That's going to affect my bottom line. That's going to affect you know, commerce in this country. So <laughs> so a lot of stuff that we deal with in the country related to racism, it's easier to ignore it, which is why I think it goes unnoticed. Because if you're part of the majority group, it's not necessary for you to even really think about it. Um, which I mean, is a privilege, I mean, right? Somebody, yeah, that's what privilege really is. That's, that's It's that's, a privilege that's to choose to ignore. <laughs> yes, you have the ability to do that. Um, there's nowhere I can go in this country where I wouldn't see a white person at the grocery store. It's not really possible because the country is 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 majority white. Um, but if I were to go to, uh, if I was white, I could live in a place where I probably wouldn't see any black people. And if I did, maybe just one or two. And that would allow me to not ever have to think about this system of racism that I'm benefiting from every day. So it's an unnoticed thing that I think is unnoticed, maybe on purpose. It's, it's something that I don't want to know. I'm avoiding noticing it. And I don't have to notice it if I don't want to, because I can live in such a way that there's never anything around that's going to confront me as it relates to that kind of thing. So that's kind of what I meant when I said that. And um, I, I really think that this is the thing for me, okay? White people that are not Christian, I'm not expecting anything from them. But if I read my Bible, it tells me that there is something about the blood of Jesus that actually makes me closer to my white Christian than I am to my blood brother if he's not a Christian. (laughs) If my my brother does not believe—my brother that was born of the same mother as me is not as close to me, according to Scripture, if he doesn't believe. And I I have a believing— uh Adventist, uh, Christian, whatever, white person—I'm closer to them than I know how it's it's supposed to be, at least. (laughs) So I'm saying, Mm -hmm, for me, for me, my problem, the crisis I have, is that we have this issue in the church, and that's what really hit me so hard about the James two text is that he's not talking to worldly people; he's talking to the church. (laughs) So we've got some real things we got to grapple with, and I'm saying for us in the church. Capitalism cannot be the thing that we align ourselves with. It's got to be God. It's got and God's system is not capitalistic. It's not. His system is totally different. And so what I'm saying is a lot of people in the United States who are holding on to the way things were, they may not be holding on to because they hate black people. I may be holding to it because that system is the one that's most profitable it's a capitalistic thing and just because it ruined the lives of these people i get that but that's a, a necessary evil to get where we are <laughs> you mm. understand what i'm saying mm. so that's kind of the reason why i think it's really difficult for people to really have this conversation to really go there and say let's get rid of it because a lot of the stuff that we enjoy right now in this country are because of that system
2: yeah sure <laughs> well and and like you said even within the the church which is the most surprising, um, I guess at the same time, it's also not surprising because there's sin everywhere, right? Like, right. You know, but it is uh, something that we just don't expect because it shouldn't be happening within within the church. Yeah. Uh, but I've even heard some of these comments um, from people in the church. And so I just wanted to know what you would say to someone who thinks that, okay, all this racism thing is Much to do about nothing, or someone who says, "Well, I wasn't alive during the time of slavery, so I didn't cause this problem. So why would I have to do anything about it?"
0: Yeah. So um, I kind of think of this, Andrea, the way that you just kind of mentioned it earlier. You you made an allusion to the fact that um, as a woman living in a man's world, you kind of feel some of this same stuff that I'm talking about, and that's kind of what I do. Uh, Like, let's say a man comes to me and says something similar to what you just said. I wasn't there when it happened. Mm -hmm. In fact, none of my ancestors owned slaves. Why why are we even having this conversation? I'm not racist. Well, what I would say to them is you may not yourself hate another group of people, but if you're benefiting from racism and you're not doing anything about it, that's a problem. And I would say it's the same problem for me as a man who is benefiting from a chauvinistic system that is oppressing women. And usually when I do that, for some reason, I don't know why, people have a hard time seeing what I'm saying when I talk about racism, but they don't have a hard time at all when I talk about sexism. Sometimes changing the metaphor helps them, which is the reason mm-hmm. why I like the James Two text. Because mm-hmm. James 2 doesn't pinpoint racism, it specifically just talks about being partial for any reason. And Mm -hmm. now we can think of all the stuff that fits into that category, sexism, racism. There's so many other things that fit into that. a Classism. (laughs) You know, sometimes we look down on people because they don't make as much money. Sometimes we look down on people because they don't have as much education. There's, There's all kinds of things now that fit into this category. And now it doesn't become something that I'm just targeting one group of people. Now I'm talking about a human problem here. And sometimes that helps. But the reality is Now more than ever, and this is why I think I'm very encouraged during this time, now more than ever, I'm noticing that less and less people are saying racism isn't an issue. And I think, you know, I hate that George Floyd lost his life in that way. It was a tragedy. But the one thing that came out of it was you can't deny when you watch that video that somebody is racist somewhere. This is not not a thing. It's a thing. And we've been saying it's not a thing for so long. The reality is it's been a thing that whole time. We've never really dealt with it. And like I said in my sermon, you can't just expect to ignore something and expect that it's gonna change. It doesn't happen that way. It's a huge problem. We have to actually confront it. That's one of the things I'm so proud of you guys for doing for continuing the conversation, for having this you know, follow-up interview, all of that. I think this helps to move the needle forward. This helps for people to think in their own minds about what they're going to do about this and how they can actually change the problem. And I think we can all do something. We can start right in our own families with teaching our children to do better when it comes to this. Another, another thing we can do, you may have already been going to ask me this, I don't know. Another thing we can do is, like in our family, we do not allow any racial slurs. We also don't allow any kind of joke that would be uh, racially charged in any way. We just don't allow it in our home. And the reason we don't is because we don't want to make light of that. We don't want to be contributing to that. Um, um, my my dad, when he was a kid, when, when sorry, when I was a kid, my dad corrected me. I said something about... Um, buying something at a store and I got ripped off. And I said, I got gypped. And my dad was like, don't say that. Hmm. I said, why not? He said, because gyp is short for gypsy. And he said, that's actually a slur.
1: No way. I I didn't even even realize that. (laughs) I didn't know that. I didn't didn't know either. I'm confessing.
0: Right. (laughs) I didn't, you know, I just met, I got, now what what happened was at some point, uh, those kinds of people gypsies ended up getting a bad reputation for being people who would steal or swindle or rip you off and so it became synonymous and and what he was basically saying to me which was what it taught me was you wouldn't want somebody else to profile you because you're black and automatically say that because you're black this is going to happen or that's going to happen i'm like yeah you're right i wouldn't dad <laughs> so so little things like that actually help for you to be anti-racist <laughs> You know what I'm
2: saying? Yeah. And I love how Absolutely. you had us all raise our hands at the end, right? If you're going to be serious about being anti-racist, I think there's just something about the action of you doing it that you're committing to it. It's, it's, yeah. it's important. But it I just agree. made me think of, you know, different ways that we can be anti-racist. I know you mentioned a few things, but like the one thing that I was thinking of is you need to know people of different colors, Right. And that's like one of the biggest things, because if somebody like if I went to a store and somebody insulted my best friend, I would get so angry. Right. I would just like I would automatically have to say something because just it's unacceptable to me. Right. But sometimes when it's people I don't know, that's when it's like easy to just say, oh, well you know, that's kind of their problem. Um, And and so that's why I think, you know, for me, it's that reminder of when you were talking about this, that reminder of getting to know people who look different than-
0: I think that's a great way of doing it. I, I definitely think it's harder for us to hold on to our prejudices about people when we know and love people of that race, that color, whatever, by the way, I keep saying race, but I do want to just interject. Race is definitely a human construct. Um, when you look in the Bible and it talks about, you know, us taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, it names stuff like, um, uh, well, well, in the Greek, <laughs> it says, you know, tribe and kindred and tongue and stuff like that. Right, right. It doesn't actually right. say race. Yeah. Race is a human construct. You know, we, we we are categorized in other ways, but they say there isn't much difference between me and Andrea in terms of our uh, genetic makeup and stuff like that, you would think that because she's of the white race, uh, I'm assuming you're white. <laughs> okay. You know, and I'm black. <laughs> There's some <laughs> big difference between the two of us, but there, there isn't. It's pretty much the same. Yeah. Uh, my blood, when I bleed, it's, it's red. I, I think yours is too, red. right? <laughs> <laughs> my, my My point is, when it really comes down to it, I really think that some of these things that we do, it's important for us to be deliberate about being against racism, not just saying... I'm not a racist. That's not enough. You you got to be against it. You know what I'm saying?
2: Mm-hmm. No, thank you, John, so much. We need we to let you go pretty soon because you have another appointment.
1: But, uh, th- thank yeah, you for having me, guys. I really enjoyed this. This is great. Thank you for having this conversation, for joining us again. How can we, John, how can we pray for you, your ministry, your church specifically? Before yeah. we um, of pray us out and leave?
0: Yeah, so we're, we're kind of um, grappling with this same thing in our own church. Um, we are sort of in the throes of it as well as we watch all of these things happening around us that are so racially charged. And uh, it's been quite a battle for us also uh, at the Tacoma Park Church. I, I would love it if you would pray for us and our ability to really just reach new heights when it comes to being against racism. We're, we're trying our best, but we, we hit obstacles all the time. <laughs>
2: It's so beautiful that you know that you're saying that because that is exactly what we need at churches.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, Okay, so let's pray. Yeah, let's do. Lord God, I just want to thank you for being with us through this conversation. There is such an important topic, and and it's so important for us to not be silent about things, but to really talk to each other and just ask each other's experiences. So help us to be more intentional in that. I also pray for the Tacoma Park Church, because as John has mentioned, um, they also want to be intentional and in knowing what to do against racism. I want to pray for our church as well, Kettering, that you help us to do that also. Keep giving us wisdom and just a greater love for people around us so that we reflect you better in the way that we act towards others. I thank you for being with us right now and put us all into your hands. I pray this in the name, Jesus. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Everybody can connect. We'll see you next week.
2: I actually didn't start recording, so Jason, you must have started recording because it's not letting me do it.
1: It's not letting me record either. Really? Um, it says, please ask the host to give you permission to record. So I don't have permission. So I'm I actually you.
0: see it says recording on my side. So I don't know if you set it automatically to record at the beginning. No. Like, Did you set it when you set the meeting?
2: I don't know if maybe no. I didn't, didn't even know. Because you didn't, right? So...